Welcome to the Battle Cry Podcast with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. You can watch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Convention of States Facebook and Rumble channels. Hey guys, Mark Meckler here, President of Convention of States with Sunday night's Battle Cry. There's so much going on and it's a week full of dichotomies. And here's what I mean by that. You've got a lot of uh, really what I would describe as dark stuff. We've got a clash of civilizations really going on. Uh, that's what you see when you've got this war going on between Israel and Hamas. We're going to talk about that. Uh, that's dark. It's dark stuff. It's not pretty, but it's real. We're going to get into that. And so that's kind of the dark side of what's going on out there in the world. That's overflowing now around the world and into the United States. The positive side is this week we got some not completely unexpected news, but timing-wise unexpected. I am super excited. I got some big, big COS endorsement news to announce, some big political developments. People who are COS supporters kind of rising up in the political sphere. So we're going to get into all of that stuff. So we're going to do, we're going to, I'm going to bounce you around, right? We're going to, we're going to be dark and we're going to get into ugly reality. And then we're going to show you a bunch of light because that's the way it always is. Sometimes it's dark and sometimes it's light. And that's why the theme this week and your call to action is don't ever give in to the darkness. When you give in to the darkness, when you stop staying the course, what you're not acknowledging is that the light is often right around the corner. And you can go through really dark times and one day it just pops and everything opens up and it's light. And so that sort of happened a little bit of great stuff or a lot of great stuff for Convention Estates this week. It's been a hard year. This is some great news. And so I'm just gonna encourage you Whatever's going on in your own life, stay the course. Whatever's going on politically in the country, stay the course. Stay in the fight and know that you could just be moments away or hours away or days away from that breakthrough that you've been looking for. If you're like me, rely on your faith, pray a lot, know that God's with you all the way, even in the valley of darkness. And you're going to come out the other side if you lean in and you stay the course. All right, let's start up with a couple of housekeeping things from Convention of States as an organization. Number one is, I gotta ask you guys, spread the word. I'm gonna give you some good news to spread the word, so I need you to spread the word. We're doing our Power of 10 program right now. You can find out about it, conventionofstates.com forward slash power of 10. Use the number 10, conventionofstates.com forward slash power of 10. Ask 10 friends to sign the COS petition. That'll give us momentum going into 2024. That's what we really need. Build the grassroots. You're already part of the grassroots. We need you to add 10. So you've got an email list. I know you do. You've got a text list. I know you do. And you have 10 people that you can ask to sign the petition. In fact, ask 110 probably will sign. So use your email list, use your text list, ask folks to sign the COS petition. Now is the time to do that. Also, we're looking for you guys to volunteer. This is really important. You ever go to church or maybe the PTA, wherever you volunteer, and you realize that it used to be called the 80-20 rule, 80 or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Seems like now it's the 90-10 rule. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Well, we need to spread the burden. We need more volunteers in convention estates. By the way, when I say that, if you're not already a volunteer, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yes, you. I know you're like looking around like me. Yeah, you. There's a lot of stuff we need your help with. You can join the national communications team. Maybe you have a passion for social media. Maybe you love community engagement and you have a strong grasp of Article 5. You can go out there and you can give presentations. 
Maybe you like networking with radio stations and publishing outlets. You can help us get media out there if that's something you like to do or even experience in that. We don't really have room for a dog sitter, but maybe you have dogs that like convention estates too, like Winston who just poked in. We have a bunch of exciting part-time volunteer opportunities, three of them right now uh, up at conventionofstates.com forward slash jobs. We are looking for a volunteer social media specialist or several of them. We're looking for volunteer community engagement coordinators and volunteer media liaisons. You can find that by going to conventionofstates.com forward slash jobs, or you can scroll down to the bottom of the Convention of States team and look at the join our team link. Again, conventionofstates.com forward slash jobs. If you're good at social media, if you're interested in being engaged out in the community, if you're interested in being a media liaison, helping us reach out to radio stations and print publications and digital publications, do apply today. All right, I'm gonna jump into the stuff that's going on because there's a lot of stuff going on out there. This week, you guys know it, you've already heard the news, we have a new Speaker of the House. Uh, Speaker of the House is Representative Mike Johnson from Louisiana. I Kind of a surprising guy to see as Speaker of the House. I say that, he's four years in, so he hasn't been a Congressman that long. We at Convention of States have a lot of experience with Representative Mike Johnson because he was one of our champions in the Louisiana legislature. And you can see this, uh, producer Gio put up a link to a video. You can see him giving a floor speech. He's a constitutional attorney. His floor speech in the Louisiana legislature was pushing back on the idea of a runaway convention and saying why he supported the idea of convention of states. So we've got highlights of that. We've got highlights of some of his speeches uh, in a committee in Congress supporting the use of Article 5. We've got some of his speeches from uh, actually as he gave his acceptance speech for Speaker of the House. So great stuff, super exciting to have a Speaker of House that is a Convention of States supporter. So this elevates our game. So when you're going out and talking to your friends, you can say, hey, you know that new guy who's Speaker of the House that nobody expected, Mike Johnson? He's a COS guy. Super exciting to have a COS guy as the Speaker of the House. Now, we also had Kevin McCarthy, by the way, had said he was a COS supporter not long ago, just a couple of weeks before he got ousted. So whether you're dealing with a very moderate wing of the party, maybe, which is what people consider Kevin McCarthy, or whether you're dealing with a true blue conservative, which is what I think Mike Johnson is, they are in support of COS. It's absolutely incredible. Okay, so how did this happen? How do we end up with a guy that's kind of a relative backbencher? Well, He's been moving behind the scenes and he, he ran the RSC, the Republican Study Committee. So that's a pretty big deal. Uh, that used to be the conservative side of the Republican Party. It's a little bit more moderate now. He's got a great rating from Heritage. I think it's a 90% or 92% score from Heritage as a conservative. He's a Christian family man, pro-life, traditional values, traditional Republican principles. He's even talking about fiscal responsibility. So I'm super excited that he's Speaker of the House now. How's it happen? I would say one of the ways that it happened is because Mike Johnson is a genuinely nice guy. And so one of the things we talk about all the time is not being overly aggressive as grassroots activists, building relationships with people. That's something that Mike Johnson has done his entire career. He hasn't made enemies in the House of Representatives, so he was a candidate that in a divisive time, everybody could agree upon. Now, I also want us to be very realistic about the Mike Johnson speakership. We're going to need to support him. And when I say that, I mean we're going to need to be somewhat flexible. He still has a fractured caucus. 
he still has a caucus with a far right on the caucus that wants things that we might not be able to deliver with a split caucus like this, with a narrow majority. He's going to be asked to keep the caucus together on some difficult stuff, but he may not be able to push things as conservatively as I might like or you might like. And so we need to understand that the caucus still has a narrow majority. It's going to be hard to get stuff done, but I think he is definitely a better face for the caucus than Kevin Roberts is. He's got a big task ahead of him. And I said Kevin Roberts. I'm sorry. I meant Kevin McCarthy. I've got Kevin Roberts on the mind, president of Heritage. I'm going to explain to you why shortly. Uh, so he's going to have a big task ahead of him. He's got to raise money for the entire caucus. Kevin McCarthy raised over half a billion dollars uh, as the as the uh, Speaker of the House and in his time in the House. Can uh, our new Speaker do that? Can Mike Johnson do that? I don't know. We're going to have to see if if he has that skill. It's hard being speaker. You've got to negotiate with all the different factions. It's a little Machiavellian. Some people would say, can he get it done? I don't know, but I'm going to say, seems like he was made for such times such as this. Seems like he's the right guy. So right now I'm going to give a lot of prayers for Mike Johnson, a lot of support to Mike Johnson. I think we as an organization are going to do a letter writing campaign in support of Speaker Johnson just to let him know we're here with him and remind him exactly who we are and what we do and why we've been with him and he's been with us for so long. Uh, so look for that. But I think this is exciting. New speaker, new era, United Caucus behind him. We're going to see what happens. That is big news for Republicans, big news for the United States of America, big news for conservative values. It's just big news. All right, we have other big news. Ready? Producer G, maybe a drum roll here. I know, can you do that? Give me a drum roll. All right, here's a drum roll. He's going to put up uh, maybe some tweets and an article. And what you're going to see is Heritage Foundation has come out in full, like exciting, big fanfare support of Convention of States. Huh? Huh? Applause, please. This is incredible. And this is something that, honestly, I've been working on. I've been praying for. I've been meeting on for years. Years ago, Jim DeMint was with us as a spokesperson. Uh, he's been a senior advisor. He's now with CPI. And he was president before he was with us. He was president of Heritage. And as president, he supported us. But we could never get the whole organization on in a full-throated way. And you might have seen Kevin Roberts on our COS at Home webinar a few weeks ago. He personally came out in full support of what Convention of States was doing. Uh, but that was Kevin himself. To get the organization to do this, it's a big organization, right? To get everybody on board, to get everybody pointing in the same direction, that is a big deal, and that happened this week. If you haven't seen it already, there's an article. I'm going to pull it down here. Uh, I know Producer G's going to throw some of it up on the screen. I don't normally read from stuff when I'm on, uh, on this battle cry, but I'm going to read some stuff from you here. This is by John G. Malcolm. Uh, John Malcolm is uh, I think he runs their Edwin Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. He is a constitutional scholar of the highest order, and he wrote an article called Reconsidering the Wisdom of an Article 5 Convention of States. And I'm going to read the opening, and then I'm going to pull out some highlights for you. The opening, he says, In early August of this year, a few of my Heritage Foundation colleagues and I joined representatives from 49 states in Williamsburg, Virginia, for a two-day simulated convention of the states to consider potential amendments to the United States Constitution. This was the second such simulated convention, the first having occurred in 2016. Given Williamsburg's significance during the Revolutionary War and the founding, the setting seemed fitting. 
He goes on to explain exactly how this all worked. Uh, we we're super excited to have representatives of Heritage there serving as delegates or as commissioners. Uh, John Malcolm served as a commissioner, I believe, from North Carolina. He goes through and he lays out the way that an Article 5 convention works. He lays out the three subject matter areas for our Convention of States resolution, fiscal restraints on the federal government, limits on the jurisdiction of the federal legislative, executive, or judicial branches, and term limits for members of the federal legislative or judicial branches. And he talks about Convention of States as an organization. He says the organizers believe for too long that people have permitted the fox to guard the hen house, while the people have relied on Congress to be the sole vehicle for amending the Constitution to curtail federal accumulation of power. All three branches of the federal government have been allowed to accumulate excessive power over time at the expense of the states and the people. So he goes on to explain why we believe now is the time to do it. And he goes through some history, talks about what uh, Washington said about the idea of a convention of states. And he goes through Convention of States, our organization, extensively. He says the Convention of States Foundation, which is active in all 50 states, has been making steady and impressive progress. To date, the legislatures in 19 states have passed resolutions calling for a Convention of the States, limited to the three proposed subjects. And in another seven states, one of the two houses in the state legislature has passed similar resolutions. The group targets different states during their respective legislative sessions as potential pickups in its quest to achieve the magic number of 34 states calling for a convention. He goes through and he lays out exactly what happened at the simulated convention. Uh, he says it was unique and very special. I ran into John several times. He was having the time of his life. It was so fun to watch him have so much fun. He's a scholar. He understands this stuff so well. He was so excited. He said, one thing I remember he said to me, the only thing I'm trying to figure out is how do I get to be a delegate when the real one happens? He said of the people who were attending, they all had one thing in common. They love their country and they're concerned about what's happening to it. He mentions that Rhode Island was missing. That's fitting because Rhode Island was the only one of the 13 original colonies which boycotted the Constitutional Convention in 1787. So that was just kind of unique. And I think it showed sort of from my perspective, God's hand in the mix. There's a little bit of humor in Rhode Island not showing up at our convention. Uh, so he goes through, he talks about the ideas that came out, all the thinking and how it was refined. Uh, and it's very short, right? We did this in a couple of days. It would be months. He talks about his conversations with a bunch of the commissioners. He talks about the idea of why there's not going to be a runaway convention. He goes in and he says why the runaway convention is unlikely. So I think this is really important because he says there have been important developments since he first looked at this in 2016. And he thinks the entire enterprise not only more palatable, but downright enticing. And that's a change of opinion for John, a growth in his opinion in favor of Convention of States since 2016. And he goes through what's changed over time. Uh, first, he says that the situation on the ground is favorable to conservatives, assuming that the delegates are carefully selected. It minimizes the likelihood of any runaway. He talks about the states that are controlled by Republicans. Uh, he talks about in 2020 that the Supreme Court issued a significant decision uh, that actually weighs in on this. It's Chiafalo versus Washington, whether a state could remove or otherwise penalize a faithless elector. And the unanimous court held the states could do so. So in other words, that goes to delegates. What happens if delegates get out of control? Do the states have control over them? He says yes. So, and he talks about that a bunch of the states are submitting applications calling for a convention of states 
that have faithful delegate laws as well. In other words, it require faithless delegate laws. They limit penalties or they give penalties and impose fines on states or on delegates who get out of control at a convention. So he thinks it's a worthy cause, and that's what he concludes with, that this is a worthy cause. Uh, and he talks about uh, in 1910, this is what he ends with, Theodore Roosevelt delivered a legendary speech come to be known as the man in the arena speech. And this is what the, the critical quote, and John Malcolm quotes this, he said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or whether the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. The organizers of Convention of States Movement embody this spirit. Perhaps the rest of us should too. Man, if that doesn't make your heart sing, if that doesn't make you feel proud, if that doesn't inspire you, like this is from a great scholar. John Malcolm is vice president of the Institute for Constitutional Government. He's director of the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies and the B. Kenneth Simon Center for American Studies and the Gilbertson Lindbergh Senior Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. This guy's a serious guy. And he is now wholeheartedly in support of calling a convention of states. Producer G's put some of that up for you. He's going to have a link up there for you. So this allows you to see what's happening in the convention of states movement right now. It's really incredible. You have the Speaker of the House, Representative Mike Johnson, a huge COS supporter, an advocate of COS for years, is now the Speaker of the House, the most powerful member of the most powerful body in the United States government. You have John Malcolm, the, the, I would argue, the greatest constitutional scholar currently at the Heritage Foundation, one of the greatest constitutional scholars in America, coming out in support. You have, you have Kevin Roberts, the president of the Heritage Foundation, personally speaking out in favor of Convention of States, and on and on and on and on. To the naysayers, I say, when will you get on the train? To the naysayers on the right, I say, how long will you stand with Planned Parenthood and La Raza and MoveOn.org and George Soros and the communists, the Marxists that want to destroy our nation? The train has left the station. You're way behind, but I'm going to tell you, I'm standing at the back of that back car and I'm leaning out and I am putting my hand out to people in the John Birch Society, to people in Eagle Forum, to those of you who've been skeptics, and I am inviting you to join the fight. Don't just criticize the people in the arena. We're in the arena. We're fighting for what's just and good. We are fighting to restore the Constitution of the United States of America, and there's room for you on our train. We don't hold a grudge, but we do think that you need to open your eyes, you need to wake up, and you need to join the cause. And by cause, I mean COS, the COS cause for liberty, the fight to restore the Constitution by using the Constitution. It is a great week for Convention of States. So this is a great week to go out and do what we've been talking about, right? Go out and get your 10. 
you can send them links to all the stuff. Producer G's putting it up. You can send them links to the Heritage Foundation and what Heritage Foundation is doing. You can send them links to Representative Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, speeches in support of Convention of States. It's a great week to get involved in that. Conventionofstates.com forward slash power of 10. It's also a great week to apply for the volunteer positions. The social media specialist, the community engagement coordinator, the media liaison, because things are going really well. It's always good to be in when we're winning and we are absolutely winning right now. I wanna switch gears though. This is hard to do from all the incredible, exciting, positive stuff to some of the really down and dark and dangerous stuff happening in the world. And if you wanna look at that really up close, that's Israel versus Hamas. What is this whole thing really? And what I would say is what we're seeing is a clash of civilizations, a clash of civilizational views. This week, Israel brought journalists into a military base and showed them over 45 minutes of videotape, tape from Hamas, from GoPro cameras, from cell phones, audio tape, things that Hamas was celebrating. This is from the cameras, the voices, the written words of Hamas. And what they showed the journalists shocked the world. They wanted the journalists to see this in Hamas's own words and tapes and their joy at slaughter. And what the journalists saw stunned them. And I'm talking journalists from the left, which is most journalists in the world, but journalists from all over the world, different media organizations from MSNBC to CNN. And what they saw was barbarity. What they saw was a horror show. Children shot up in their cribs. Women raped so bad, pelvises were broken. Grandparents shot in their homes. They saw and heard stories of parents killed in front of their children, children killed in front of their parents, children ripped from their parents' arms, parents taken away in front of their children's mass murder on a scale not seen against the Jews since the Holocaust. The largest wholesale slaughter of Jews in the world since the Holocaust. And there's a difference between this and the Holocaust, obviously, on scale. But these people, in the way that they did it, were even more barbaric. They did it with joy, with excitement. One of the Hamas terrorists actually was recorded on a phone call. He told his parents to go look on WhatsApp, and they could see that he killed 10 Jews with his own hands, and they should be very proud of him. This was the attitude, the joy, the stomping on corpses, the dismembering. This is what Hamas is. And this is what Hamas represents. This is not an outlier. This is a clash of civilizations in the world. Israel represents the best of the West. Israel, not a colonizer. The idea that Israel is a colonizer could not be more far from the truth. If we want to talk about indigenous people, there are no more indigenous people on the face of the earth, literally by the thousands of years in that area. There are no more indigenous people on earth than the Jewish people in the Holy Land. Thousands of years of history. At least, literally, uh, 1,500 years, the Jews were there before Islam. Christ was there 700 years before Islam, before Muhammad. I mean, this is an outrageous thing that they claim that the Jews are colonizers. It could not be further from the truth. Israel is a country where Arabs have equal rights to Jews. Arabs are on the Supreme Court. Arabs are in their legislature, the Knesset. 
Arabs have full civil rights. Arabs represent 20% of the population. There are no Jews in any of the Muslim countries because genocide and ethnic cleansing have been committed against the Jews since the creation of the Jewish state in 1948. Israel took in over 800,000 refugees from Muslim countries when Israel became a country. They didn't go to Israel because they just wanted to. They got expelled from their homes, their property taken. Many of them attacked and slaughtered. They got driven from their home countries all over the Middle East and driven to Israel. Do you know how many refugees the Muslim countries are willing to take from the Gaza Strip right now? Zero. Egypt says zero. Jordan says zero. Zero. Syria, zero. Lebanon, zero. All the border countries around Israel said they will take no refugees from Gaza because they want this to be a problem for Israel and they don't care about the Palestinian people. The Palestinian leadership is Hamas. It is popularly elected. It is estimated to be supported by over 70% of the people in Gaza and they support the terrorism. And when we talk about innocent civilians being killed in Gaza, that is true and that is tragic and that is horrible. And each life matters and each innocent life lost is a tragedy and each and every drop of blood spilled in Gaza is on the hands of Hamas. On the hands of Hamas. They came into Israel. They slaughtered over a thousand Israelis. I believe the number is now over 1,400 Israelis. Unprovoked, they tore through the fence, they went into unarmed areas, and they killed, tortured, raped, and maimed civilians. Civilians, their targets were intentionally civilians, not accidentally civilians, not as casualties of war, but intentional civilians, and they did it with joy and barbarity like we have not seen on earth in a very long time. And so every drop of blood that the Israelis have to spill in Gaza because Hamas has embedded themselves among civilians, every drop of blood is on the hands of Hamas. And the Israelis must do what they must do to secure their own country. What would the United States do if from Mexico poured over thousands of fighters and they went into towns and cities and slaughtered Americans randomly? We're having this. Just not all at once. We're having these numbers via fentanyl, 70,000 annually killed via fentanyl coming in from Mexico. We ought to do something about that. But what if there was a military incursion like we saw? Would the U.S. use quote-unquote restraint? Of course not. We would go all out and we would make it so that it could never happen again. Israel must eradicate Hamas, not just for Israel, for the world. And there will be civilian casualties and we should pray that there is a minimization of civilian casualties, but we should put no pressure on Israel whatsoever to do anything other than what any country would do if they're as brutally attacked as Israel has been. There's no special rules for Israel, no special restrictions on Israel. Hamas is hiding military facilities under hospitals, under schools. There are literally hundreds of miles uh, and hundreds of kilometers of tunnels under civilian areas, and Israel must and will deal with those. This is a clash of civilizations. This is the Western world versus the barbarians, and the barbarians are not at the gate. They are inside the gate. They're not at the gate in Israel. They came through the wall in Israel. 
and they're not at the gate in the United States. And this is something that we have to get really serious about. They're inside the United States of America. Today, in the United States of America, there are protests taking place around the country, a lot of them in major cities around the country, I think all of them major cities, a lot of them on our college campuses and sometimes in our high schools around the country that are pro-Hamas celebrations. I want you to let that sink in. These are pro-terrorism, pro-baby killing, pro-raping, pro-murdering, pro-maiming, pro-dismembering, pro-torturing, pro-hostage-taking. These demonstrations, these people doing this, are Nazis. They're the new Nazis. They're Hamazis, is what I would call them, right? These are Hamas Nazis. They carry the Nazi ideology. They are genocidal lunatics. And their goal is nothing short of wiping out Western civilization. This is not just about Israel. This is about the West. And they are unified and they are aligned with people inside the United States. To our federal government, I would say, you need to do what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida, which is groups that openly support terrorist organizations need to be disallowed in the United States of America. He, he disbanded groups that were on college campuses, Ron DeSantis did this, that were supporting a terrorist organization. If students have student visas and they're not United States citizens, they should immediately be deported if they support Hamas. Hamas is designated a terrorist organization, not just in the United States, but all over the world. And students who support them, who are not United States citizens, should be immediately and summarily deported from our country. We cannot afford as a nation during a civilizational conflict to have the barbarians inside the gate. And it's not harsh to call them barbarians. It's real. They are Hamazis. They are barbarians. They support this stuff. They're tearing down posters which simply show Israeli and American hostages taken prisoner by the Hamazis. They're tearing down those posters. They're chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. That means wiping out Israel. That means genocide. That is the support for genocide. It is Hamas's charter to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. And that means killing millions of Jews. That is their goal. It's open. It's stated. This is not Mark making it up. This is not Israel making it up. These are Hamas, the Hamazis, in their own word. Their own words. It's in their charter. This is true for Hezbollah in the north. This is true for Mahmoud Abbas, who governs the West Bank with the Palestinian Authority. He wrote his doctoral thesis denying the Holocaust. He's in support of what's going on. This is true for all the Muslim nations around the Middle East that came out in support of Hamas. This is the Jordanian queen coming out in support of Hamas. By the way, Jordan is a colonizing nation. It was created by the British Mandate. Uh, the Jordanian king and queen are Hashemites, and they rule over a population that is largely Palestinian sympathizing, and they have to sympathize with Palestinians. Otherwise, they will be deposed and killed. That's a colonizer. The Jordanian country was set up by the British. It is a colonizing, there's never been a Jordanian king and queen that was set up by the British. They all support the eradication of Israel. And by extension, these are Islamist fundamentalists that support the eradication of the West. And they are inside our gates. On the college campuses, for those students who are protesting in favor of Hamas, 
for the Nazis, the Hamazis protesting in favor of Hamas, who are not foreign students on student visas. They're United States citizens. They should be expelled. They are supporting murder and rape and torture and barbarism. It's not equivocal. There is no equivocation between Israel, which does everything it can to preserve the lives of civilians and people who come in and are barbarously butcher civilians and celebrate the butchering of civilians. Call the people who butchered civilians martyrs. Those people should be expelled from their schools. Some of those students are now losing their job offers at major law firms, and they should. No corporation should ever hire those students. This is not some stupid political statement where somebody says something that I don't like or you don't like politically. These people are supporting murder and rape. These are the Nazis of our time. And when I say that these students are Nazis, I want to be very clear by what I mean by that. They are Nazis. They support genocide, homicide. They support the killing of infants, the raping of women, the killing of old people, terrorism. They support that. There is no room for people like that in our society. There's no room. There should be no room. You know, I'm completely against cancel culture. And people will say, well, isn't that cancellation? No. No, I'm sorry, because there are some things that are just beyond the pale. And calling for the genocide of the Jews in America, the genocide of the Jews all over the world, this is what's going on on these college campuses. That is beyond the pale, and those people should be excluded from polite modern society. They are now the functional equivalent, actually, maybe the same as the KKK. Those people should be excluded from modern society. Anybody says they're a member of the KKK, anybody says they're a white supremacist, those people, we would all say, yeah, no, people shouldn't hire people who practice white supremacy. And we shouldn't hire and we shouldn't associate with and we shouldn't allow a place in polite society for Hamazis, the modern day Nazis. That's who these people are. So if you have people in your life, whether they're young people, Maybe there are people at your church. Maybe there are people you know at work. And they say something to you like, well, of course, I don't support terrorism and losing innocent life, but you have to understand the context. I say, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Context? I do understand the context. In the context of you and I talking, what you're about to say is that you support Nazis. And they'll say, no, 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 that's outrageous. Not, no, you do. You're a Hamazi. You support Hamas, the murder of innocents the raping of women, the butchery of children, the killing of old people, the taking of hostages, there is no moral equivalency. And you and I need to take a stand every minute of every day. This is not put up the Israeli flag as your screensaver. I, you know, I love that. Put that up as your icon if you want to. That's fine. But that's false virtue signaling. This is about you actually taking a stand. This is about you when somebody close to you says something outrageous about how they support the Palestinian people and support Hamas, that you push back on that. And you call them what they are. You call them out for being Hamazis, for being the modern day Nazis, because that is what they are. And we, you and I, are being called upon right now in this day and age for a clash of civilizations. We are fighting the, the barbarous people who wish to destroy Western civilization against all that is good and righteous and just about Western civilization. Western civilization has eradicated more poverty than anything in the world. It has created more wealth for more people. It has elevated more people from poverty to middle class to riches than anything we've ever seen in the history of the world. Judeo-Christian values have created more freedom, 
more equality, more serenity, more peace in more places than anything we've ever seen in the history of the world. And we must defend those things at all costs because barbarism is not a theory. It's not something that might happen someday. It is happening. And those people are not just at the gates, they're inside our society. On campuses right now, we're seeing queers for Hamas, queers for Palestine. Those people would be slaughtered in an instant if they crossed into Gaza. If they were in any of these Muslim countries, they would be thrown off a ruse, they would be stoned to death. What is the intersection of the radical left in America, the alphabet soup movement, and those in the Middle East who would hope for the eradication of the West? The intersection is a hatred of the West, an attempt to destroy everything Western. They all use the same language. They call us colonializers, whether it's the queer movement, whether it's BLM, all of these call the United States of America and the Western world colonizers. And they talk about it takes violence to overthrow the colonizers. They're coming here and they intend violence for you. We've seen it in our cities. BLM used the same language as we're using, as they are using right now, the same people, the same coalition in the streets screaming about doing away with the Jews and genocide for the Jews. This is the same thing and we need to wake up to this. This is the clash of civilizations, and it has come not just to Israel, but to the entire West. There are uprisings in France, in Germany, all over the globe against the Western world. It's not just against Israel. Here's my position on all of this. Bring it on. I'm not going to lament it. I'm not going to shy away from it. We must, if we are to preserve the Western world, if we are to preserve Western civilization, if we are to preserve Judaism and Christianity, if we are to preserve our faith, if we are to preserve our freedom, if people are able to be free to live out their lives as they desire in a free country, in a free Western world, if we are to have prosperity and modernity, we are to have those things, then this clash of civilizations is inevitable because those who oppose the West don't want those things. They want totalitarian control. They don't want you to be free. They don't want you to be able to speak your mind. They don't want you to be economically prosperous. They don't want you to have opportunity. They want to tell you how to live, where to live, what you're able to do, how much you're allowed to earn, what you're allowed to have. They want complete and total control over you. And they will, given the opportunity, plunge us in to another dark ages. This is the call of our times. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you prepared for it? And by prepared, I do mean prepared. Are you ready for it? If it comes to your town or your community, are you prepared to defend yourself, to defend your family, to defend your community? Are you working with your neighbors to do that? Are you prepared with food? Are you prepared with first aid training? I'm not talking about being a crazy prepper. I'm talking about being wise and being ready for what may come. You need to be prepared for what may and what I believe is coming. We need to be ready to take care of each other. We need to be able to stand up against the threats because when the time comes, don't think the police are going to come. The police have been defunded. The police have been defenestrated by fear of being prosecuted for simply doing their jobs. We, the people, are going to have to stand and defend ourselves.
We're going to have to stand and defend our families. We're going to have to stand and defend our communities. We're going to have to stand and defend our country. And we're going to have to stand and defend Western civilization. And I'm not afraid to say that. And I'm not afraid to do it. And I believe you're not either. I believe the West is greater than what it is facing if we will simply look to our history and draw upon the greatness that built Western civilization. Draw upon the values upon which Western civilization is built. Draw upon our Judeo-Christian heritage. Draw upon our common love of freedom and liberty. Draw upon those things that we hold near and dear. Our love of family, our love of country. Go to our God-given rights, not rights given to us by a government, not rights that can be limited by a government. Go to those rights given to us by our creator. And I believe if we do that, if we resort to first principles, if we know that no one is going to take care of us except for ourselves in our own communities and our own country, then we will prevail. But these are serious times. I started by telling you that in dark times, that we have to stay the course, that we have to keep going, that we have to fight for what's right because the light might be just over the horizon. The light likely is just around the corner. And I believe that. And I believe that this clash of civilizations that's upon us, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It is a chance for clarity, it is a chance for a time of testing. It is a chance, as John Malcolm said, for you and I to be in the arena when he was quoting Theodore Roosevelt, to be the man or the woman or the family or the community who's in the arena, who is willing to fight with all he or she has for a righteous cause. That is what time it is. I don't know the outcome of this clash of civilizations. I can't know. Only God knows. What I do know is that you and I have a duty to do what is right. Our job is to do our duty. Our job is to stand when other people won't stand. Our job is to fight when other people won't fight. Our job is to lead when others won't lead. Because you're watching this right now, you're watching this webinar, I know who you are, I know what's in your heart, and I know you have what it takes to do that. So I'm going to close by encouraging you to do just that, to stand in the fight to understand that we have a civilizational clash taking place right now and that you live in that time and place and you were made for this. I believe you were made for this. And it is my honor to pledge my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor to you in that fight. Together, we are going to save our communities. We are gonna save our states. We're gonna save our country. We are gonna save American and Western civilization. God bless you. Thanks for being with me on The Battle Cry, and we'll see you next week. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. Thank you for listening.